0: It's Steve and welcome to share a podcast that sets out to do just that from stories and reflections to ideas and concepts Each episode will dive into a wide range of topics and discussions that come from a journey through life The simple fact I've discovered is when we share we empower not just ourselves but each other Are you planning your next holiday? Let the team at Mind & Body Travel inspire you. With a focus on wellness and wellbeing, the team at Mind & Body Travel can assist you whether you're looking to attend a retreat, test yourself on an adventure, tick off that bucket list trip, or just create a travel itinerary that includes all that you want in a holiday while taking into account all that your mind and body needs. Revolutionizing the way people look at holidays and travel, they believe that travel should deliver nourishment for your soul, clarity for your mind, and renewed focus upon your return. So you ready to take off? Then it's time to check in with the team at Mind and Body Travel. Just visit www.mindandbodytravel.com. We're in the final stretch of 2023, and it's my absolute pleasure to introduce you to this week's guest and the final guest on Share Podcast for the year. An absolute gorgeous human being who describes herself as a passionate optimist, an avid traveler, coach, facilitator, and is also co-host of the extremely successful Lead with Courage podcast, which she founded with her husband, Andy. As a founder and director of Luminate Leadership, this phenomenal woman exudes positivity, has an infectious personality that just makes you feel good about yourself and the world. She lights up a room with her energy, her presence, and as you'll experience, she lights up this podcast as she talks life, love, family, relationship, leadership, and everything in between. The batteries may be a little drained after a big year as we head into the festive season, but my beautiful friend and this week's guest, Cherie Canning, is here to recharge them so you can get inspired, focused, and ready for your biggest and best year in 2024. So without further ado, let's get into it. Cherie, welcome to Share.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me, Steve. It's great to be here.
0: Yeah, it's so awesome to have you on. I am thrilled to be
1: on. Thank you.
0: When I first met you, and obviously I've tracked your stuff you've been doing with Luminate Leadership and the podcast and everything, and you've, you're just like a bundle of energy.
1: <laughs> Thank you. Usually, hopefully good energy, but no, yes, I try. I remember meeting you and feeling exactly the same thing. I remember meeting for the first time at that TEDx last year. in brisbane and likewise so it's great to be here with you and share this experience today
0: yeah and i always say connections when my brother messaged me and he's like oh sheree's at the at the tedx look out for her and your infectious energy is very hard to miss so
1: (laughs) thank you and from one redhead to another maybe you know of course
0: Of course. Yeah, so good, so <laughs> we good. We can set up our own club.
1: Yeah, I'm just not the genuine, authentic redhead. I'm just a
0: wannabe redhead. Ah. Uh, uh, so what's the natural color then?
1: Oh, these days more gray than anything, to be honest. Dark brown with, I should say it's gray with a, a hint of dark brown. Yep. Yeah, there is so much gray. And people go, oh, there's not that much. I'm like, no, honestly, my dad was completely white by 30. So was my grandma. And I'm well past 30 and I am definitely on the same track.
0: Lucky me. Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> well, let's kick it off. Yes. I'd like to start with who's Sheree Canning?
1: Who is Sheree Canning? Sheree uh, Canning is a passionate optimist and a travel lover, a mum, a wife and a founder of a business and a grey-haired woman apparently too. I've just shared with the world, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's how I describe myself who I am and I guess some of the roles that I play in life as well.
0: How's life led you to where you are today?
1: Yeah, big question, isn't it? So many different paths, I guess, it depends how far back we go. As far as the more recent chapter, I would say with Luminate Leadership that we are three years old next week as a business. So there's probably a story in there how that came about, which would be, do I go there first maybe?
0: Well, if you want to give me a bit of a snapshot on where... What are the roles that you've had? And then I definitely want to dive into the different elements of your story.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I grew up on the northern beaches of Sydney and my mum and dad still live in the house that I was in from the age of one. So yeah, they're still there. And my sister married a high school sweetheart. So they're very much on the beaches as well still. And I love growing up on the beaches, but I had this desire to travel the world and not just follow the path of finishing school, going to uni and settling in. I just wanted to explore the world. So my dad's English. My mum is a real traveler as well. So she's Aussie, but that's where I think I got that from. So I got an English passport, one-way ticket, and I was away. Had a brilliant year or so traveling Europe and then actually broke my back. So I was forced to come home. At that time, I'd also just met a guy and who I desperately fell in love with very fast. And we met in the November on my 21st birthday, actually. I was on a cruise with my parents in the Mediterranean and met this guy who was working on the cruise ship from Bundaberg of all places. So I'm there in the med meeting a guy from Bundy. Anyway, fell in love. And three months later, I was engaged. So pretty fast. And three months, we actually only saw each other for three weeks out of that three months. So Some would say a little too fast, but you know, that's the story of my life and that, you know, that's what happened. So when I broke my back, I came back to Australia and I was engaged. So I need to start earning some money to pay for this wedding. And I thought, well, I could either go to university now and maybe want to be a teacher or get into, I don't know, something more exciting, but I think my heart actually wanted to get into teaching or I could start earning money. And I thought I need to do that. I'm going to apply for a job in travel because I love travel. I love people. And I started at Flight Centre when I was 21. And for 17 years there, I worked at Flight Centre in a range of jobs. I started booking travel as a travel agent at Mona vale Flight Centre for a few years. And my now ex-husband and I decided to move to Queensland and give that a shot and see what life would be like there. And we moved to the Sunshine Coast. So I was a store manager there for a couple of years in two different stores and opened up my own store. And then I was a area leader for about eight years. So North Brisbane, Gold Coast, Northern New South Wales and different brands with, with your brother in Escape Travel and um, with the Flight Centre brand as well. And, yeah, and then I did about, I took in about 2011, 2010, I tore my Achilles and that was a really interesting time for me because I had recently separated from my ex-husband. The Achilles injury was actually really I hadn't expected the impacts that that had on me because I was then living on my own. I was in a two-bedroom apartment with no lift, and I was in a wheelchair, and I was almost thirty, and kind of needing to get people to help me do day-to-day tasks. It was quite confronting how alone that felt.
0: Pretty isolating as well, yeah.
1: Yeah, it was, and I was reflecting on this the other day. I ended up having to go back to Sydney where my family would help me for the next few weeks while I was in the wheelchair, and I remember. I landed and back in the day I had a BlackBerry for work and my BlackBerry decided to stop working the moment I landed in Sydney. So there I was lying in a bed, literally lying in a bed because I'm still in a really bad way in the early stages post my operation and I was disconnected from work and everyone in Brisbane. And it was the first time where I went, oh, everything's carrying on without me. Like I was so connected to my job, obsessed with my job and realized oh the show's gone on with or without me and that was a very confronting time and to be there newly single i'd thrown so much of my life into my work and that that was carrying on and yeah it felt very very
0: isolating very alone what got you through that time
1: i don't know that it was overly resourceful <laughs> it's probably a lot of drinking it wasn't overly resourceful to be honest i think that i was in a bit of a spiral and if anyone close to me at that time would say yeah i Yeah, I think I went a little bit crazy. And when I say crazy, I mean party crazy, fun crazy, and it just needed to, I was engaged from 21, so it was a really young, and I don't think I'd had all those years of maybe those younger years of young 20s, so it's a bit of making up for a bit of lost time. But then I realised I needed to get myself sorted, to be honest. That was a really tough year. I I was speaking with one of my mentors. She really helped me rebuild a lot of confidence because I think what I was realising was that, from the divorce, there was a real lack of intimacy and a lo- lack of connection in the divorce, which led to me having really low self-esteem and really low self-worth. From a romantic perspective, I think I always believed in myself as a person, but I doubted if anyone was ever going to love me again. If anyone would find me desirable, I know it sounds, it actually feels really raw saying those things out loud, but it, it was, it was really frightening. So I think that's where maybe I overcapitalized and partied really hard just to almost justify to myself, oh see, you know, I'll be okay. And that it was very empty and meaningless. And so I I went and did two big courses actually in that year that really radically changed the trajectory of my life, I'd say. And one was the landmark forum. I don't know if you have you heard of landmark? I have, yep. That was huge for me. My in-laws, my sister in law and her husband at the time, they had done it and they just said how Incredible, had it been. And my ex and I were registered to do it, but we never went ahead with it. So that was when I went, Oh, I, maybe I do this for myself. So that was kind of one of those first really deep transformational personal development experiences. I went, All right. So the thoughts in my head are what the challenges are here, not the external world. So I've got to start rewiring my own thoughts. So it's a process that doesn't happen in four days, but I think just understanding. Oh, okay, I'm in charge of this. And then some months later, I went to Tony Robbins. So I went to his Unleashed the Power of Within, and that was huge for me as well. I at that time, I I actually moved back to Sydney because I was traveling back there so often because that's really where my friends and my family were. When I separated, we had all our joint friends, but they all I don't know. That was really difficult too because not only did you end a relationship, but you kind of ended a lot of friendships because of that dynamic. And because it wasn't where I grew up or my school friends or anything like that, it was either work and, or my partner's friends, you know? So I moved back to Sydney and Tony Robbins was on. And funny enough, I had been on the phone for a few weeks with, or maybe a month or two with a guy called Andy Canning and i had worked with him in brisbane and i had been his leader at flight centre and he rang me one day saying i need some advice for work so I chatted away cool call me back in 2 days let me know how you go and just kind of coaching him through this work situation and then this re- relationship or this friendship i was going through my separation about a year he'd just broken up with his girlfriend and he was distraught and you know life was so hard for him because he was so in love with this girl So here I am listening to his story, sharing mine. And for months, we just would talk. We'd we'd come home from work and talk for three hours at night and just lay in my room and just chat away to Andy in Brisbane. I was in Sydney and he came to Tony Robbins as well by pure coincidence and said, Oh, I'm going to be in Sydney the night before. Have you got a spare bedroom or I can sleep on your couch? I said, Yeah, of course. (laughs) Come and sleep on my couch if you like. And yeah, he never slept on the couch, Steve. And (laughs) The rest is history. (laughs) And we've been together now almost 13 years.
0: Was there actually ever an issue or was that just a a planted (laughs) strategy by Andy?
1: No, well, it's funny because Andy often tells me, he's like, I think you convinced me to fall in love with you. Like, I just thought I was having a good time, just having a friendship here. And then all of a sudden here you are. So I think it was definitely not planted, but it does go to show, I think, the the friendship that we had and the, the ability to communicate and connect in a platonic way and then obviously then that built into mm. a, a really beautiful relationship. So, yeah, it's funny. So I think a, a bit of all of those pieces have led me to here in those earlier days.
0: It's interesting uh, a few people that I've interviewed have said, my life changed when I went to Tony Robbins.
1: Yeah, well, I, it absolutely did for me and I – Also, I think the concepts that I learned there. So it's really funny because does your life change because you decide it's time for your life to change and then, you know, the teacher appears or is it the event itself motivates you? I think for me, it was a bit of both. I was Hmm. ready for something and that four days was phenomenal and he is phenomenal. And I know that his style may not be everyone's, like he can be a bit. A big energy and the rah-rah and sometimes a bit salesy at times that can turn people away. But I would say that the the NLP and the techniques and the methodologies that he is sharing, they are life-changing, absolutely transformational.
0: Did you walk on fire?
1: I did. I did on the hot coals. Yes, I did. Which I'm not that kind of person. Like I'm not the kind of person that would do something like that typically. So that was That was something I often refer back to, you know, the Mm. power of the focus. And he talks about one thing that's really stuck with me from walking on the coals is the how do you change your state, the triangle. So, you know, focusing on the language, the physiology and the focus. Mm. And that's phenomenal when you're walking across these hot coals and, you know, you do your yes, 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 kind of air punching before and then you have to look up directly into the sky and yell at the top of your lungs with the strongest arms, your arms going back and forth with all this gusto, saying cool moss, cool moss, cool moss as you're walking on hot coals, hot coals, hot coals. So just the power of the focus. And yeah, that was something you go, if I could do that and I can focus my brain, I can, I can do what I, whatever I need to do. It's just a, about owning, owning the stories and the thoughts in your mind.
0: Yeah, I think Tracy and I went in about 2011, 2012. And I remember just the connection of having thousands of people there, all wanting to be better. Yeah. Have a growth mindset. That environment is just electric. It is. And then he really teaches you right from the outset, as you know, that there's power in discomfort because he gets people up dancing, hugging, high fiving connecting with people next to you. And my wife, Tracy, it was a real, she's an introvert, not an extrovert. And by two hours in, she's up dancing, high-fiving her neighbors. And I'm like, Whoa. who is this lady?
1: <laughs> yes, totally. Totally. I remember Andy. I mean, obviously we had, we were friends at that stage. We, we weren't really together. But I remember him, this was the first time he ever went to anything like this and he went to walk out because there was one of the sections that he was so uncomfortable. He just didn't want to deal with it. And they're the moments, you know, you need to deal with it. But I remember him saying, you know, there were a couple of people saying, please don't leave, persevere through here, just sit back here and um, just take it in. You don't have to be in the line of the fire, but don't, don't leave these moments because these are the moments that will really shift you.
0: And it, yeah, it's a, it was a very powerful experience. Yeah. And you and Andy are a power couple now.
1: Oh, (laughs) yeah. I'm a bit embarrassed by that, but I'm humbled, but I'm like, really? But yes, well, you know, we we do what we can.
0: And tell me about your beautiful daughter, your miracle baby.
1: Yes. So, yeah, what can I tell you? So, Andy and I came back from our honeymoon in 2016 and thought it's time we'd like to have a baby. I was 35, I think, by then. So I was well and truly like, okay, this is where I, this is what I want to do. This is what we want to do. We actually had, I fell pregnant on the honeymoon, but then had a miscarriage with that pregnancy. So that was a a hard six months after that around just the mental game of um, that disappointment and, And also just challenging how many people do or don't talk about that, the shame Mm. that's attached or the emotion. So I'm a talker. I've got to talk to be able to process things. So for me, it it was really difficult, but I did share it. And then when I was pregnant then with Chloe, I was very hesitant to share and more so because the, the unsharing after I was protecting myself, I think, like to go and tell everyone, oh, we're pregnant, it's early stages in the first pregnancy. Then to say, oh, I'm not pregnant anymore was just so heartbreaking. So I was holding that in a little bit with Chloe. And at about 20 weeks, I had a, a mini scare of like some pain. So we went to the hospital at midnight and they said, oh, oh, I can't believe I'm saying this on a podcast, but they're like, oh, don't worry. It's just trapped gas. That's what's going on with this pain. So I thought, oh, okay, right. So, sent me back, bit embarrassing, but I guess that's pregnancy. I don't really, I haven't been there before. So, this is half of the course. So, at 25 weeks, I started having some similar pain. Andy had actually gone to play golf in the Mornington Peninsula with three of his best mates, and they love their golf trips. And okay, there's plenty of time before the baby comes. I called the hospital and said, oh, I'm in this pain and they said, have a rest and call if it gets worse. And it woke me up at two o'clock in the morning and I was in so much pain. I thought, oh, surely it's not the same as last time. But I called them back because I was home alone and they said, please come in just so we can observe you. Okay, sure. So I'm like, oh, what do I pack? You know, I'll grab my phone, maybe a jumper and jumped in the car at two o'clock in the morning, drove myself to the hospital. They were quite shocked when I got in because they informed me little to my knowledge. I hadn't done any of the courses or anything yet because I'm only at 25 weeks. They said, oh, you're actually in labor and you've driven here in labor. I'm like, oh, I thought I was in a lot of pain. So and that sounds ridiculous, but that was the reality. So they actually immediately sent me over to the Marta Hospital because I was at another hospital and they said, oh, if you're going to have the baby here, you, you can't have it at the Wesley. You've got to be over at the Marta where there's a NICU. We're going to call your doctor. They are giving me lots of injections and different tablets to hopefully stop the labor. But if the labor was to continue to give the baby the best opportunity to not have a brain bleed and help with their lungs. And so as it turns out, I had two nights on the birthing suite just being monitored and they kept telling us, okay, you could have the baby in 20 minutes or you could have the baby in three and a half months when she's due we actually have no idea when she's coming, but we need to keep you close. At that stage, they'd given us a piece of paper. Andy had arrived back from Melbourne by then. I'd had to call him say, can you please come home? I'm sure I'm not going to have the baby, but just in case, can you please come home? And my family flew up from Sydney as well. And the doctors gave us a piece of paper. And on one side, it explained the survival rates of by gestation, gender, and weight for the babies. Depending on all of those combinations, she had about, as it turns out, a 50% chance of survival. And then on the other side of the page went, okay, well, if your baby survives, great news, here are the mild, moderate, and severe disabilities that they're likely to have. And so that's all before I've even given birth, which was massively confronting. But somehow my brain just went, just be pragmatic. It's good to know this is what we're walking into well, there was no going back, was there? No, no. So there, there's nothing you can do. I think that was it. It's like, well, what can I control? Absolutely nothing. I can try and stay as calm as I can just to regulate myself. But re- even then, I don't, whatever is intervening is intervening right now. So yeah, two and a half days I was in the hospital and then my waters broke and she arrived in 17 minutes from there. Wow. Yeah. I was up on the ward actually by then. So I had to press the buzzer and Five minutes later, I'm in the birthing suite again and here she comes and she weighed 730 grams. Wow. 730 grams, not even a bag of sugar or flour. It's crazy. And for context, I love to share, you know, if people are wearing a, a ring, it's just to kind of take it off and have a look at it. Her entire arm fit in Andy's wedding ring. So his wedding ring went up to her shoulder and there was still room for it to wiggle around in. It was she was just so tiny, so tiny. Yeah, so she was 101 days early when she was actually born and we were told to expect to be there for that long. And by some kind of miracle, she actually came home at 81 days. Yeah, wow. So she came home earlier than we had anticipated. She was two and a half kilos when she came home, this big chunky baby. <laughs> but, you know, for most babies, they're born between three and five kilos. When we're like, oh, she's put on so much weight. She's two kilos and yeah, she did come home on oxygen. So for the next 10 months, she was wearing an oxygen mask, like strapped to her, through her nose, strapped to her face and everywhere we'd go, you know, you'd have this oxygen tank attached to her. And I felt like, now I can explain it in a way that people understand. It felt like we were in COVID times of lockdown, Mm. but no one else was in that position. So if anyone wanted to come near her, you just had to spray sanitizer. I didn't even know what sanitizer was back then. You know, nowadays everyone's got some, but I had sanitizer everywhere. I remember one person said, can I hold her? I'm like, yes, if you could wash your hands and put this sanitizer on. And they looked at me like I was wild, but she had neonatal lung disease. So if she had got even a cold, it would very likely turn into pneumonia, which would very likely end her life or put her in hospital for a long period of time at best. So. It was really, you know, she's fought so hard to get to that point. You just didn't want to compromise anything. And that was really frightening for me because I'm I'm not really one to be locked down at home solo and Andy was back at work and, yeah, that was a really tough time. When you're in the hospital, you've got nurses and doctors and other parents there so you've really got these connections and you've really got people who get what you're going through. You're surrounded by that all day and when you come home, it was just the most isolating, horrible experience, to be to be honest. Like I, I would prefer to be in
0: hospital, as crazy as that sounds. Yeah. Well, I'm glad she was in the
1: 50%. Yeah. Yes. Yes, absolutely. She's She turned seven in two weeks and I can't believe it's been that long now. But yeah, she's she's an absolute delight and a true miracle. And I think it was that reminder in life around focus on what you are grateful for, focus on what you do have rather than really just training your brain not to worry about what could be because it would be very easy to sit in that chair every day that you're holding your baby thinking what disabilities are you going to have, what challenges are you going to have, are you going to live a happy life, are you going to be able to live a full life and all of these fears and it was really important just to go, okay, what have we got today? Let's not focus on what could be in the future. How is she today? What's going well? And we journaled every single day what the win of the day was, what was something we were grateful for from each day. And it wasn't always easy to find because there were some really hard days. But it was, yeah, again, that consciousness of how you're training your brain, what are you focusing on? It was not helpful for us to be thinking too far ahead.
0: And you say it was obviously a tough time and it would have been tough for you and Andy, but has that strengthened your relationship?
1: Yeah, it I would say we took a thousand steps back before we took the steps forward, to be really honest. 2017, I think for Andy and I, I don't even know if either of us believed we'd get through it as a couple by the end. Mm. Like it really put so much pressure on us. But we realized, I remember a dear friend of mine said, never make a life decision in the first year in a baby's life because you are in a fog. Things are so different. I'd also been told, I guess, two weeks after Chloe came home, I was invited back to work to be told of a restructure and I wasn't on the right side of the restructure. So that, that all happened at the same time too. And that was extremely difficult, I think, for me in the way usually I would say in our relationship, as you kindly said in the beginning, my energy and the, you know, like I, I'm, an optimist, and I've got some big energy, and I didn't have that. I didn't have that. I was so scared for Chloe and her life. I was a new mum, so I'm tired. I'm feeling the stress of everything. There, we've just come out of this traumatic time in hospital, and then I'm told the job you've had for eight years you will not have when you come back. We don't know what you'll have, but you won't be doing that job. And there was no certainty because I wasn't ready to come back. I'd, I'd only been on mat leave for a very short time. So it was a very much, oh, when you're ready to come back, we'll talk about it. And at that point, Chloe's health was not in the clear. I mean, there could have been a chance that I'd be a full-time carer and not return to work at that stage. Mm. Who knew? So yeah. So for me personally, I was not in a good place. And what I've learned now and what we look back on is all the focus really was on me as parents, not on Andy as the dad. And I think dads often... Do get forgotten, and especially in those traumatic experiences where I'm the one who needs to produce milk and he's back at work. And so we're playing different roles. And so, yeah, I think he took that quite hard too. And we went through psychologists and did a lot of counseling and, and worked very hard to get things back on track for us. And now it is, yeah, a dream. Now I go, this is the life we desired and we're creating and the love and the relationship that we've worked so hard on but that year, yeah, that really tested us.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It would have been tough moving through that. Any junctions in life create these times when you've got a pivot and for you being in the travel industry as similar to my brother, Mark, who's got similar stories, COVID through a bit of spanner in the works.
1: It did. It did. And I guess, From that time when I was on mat leave and I returned, I came back for another two and a half years where I was doing a leadership training gig. And isn't it funny how life, You know, even though at the time that was all very painful for me, when I did return to work, I came with this new sense of purpose and excitement that I want to do leadership training. I'm so passionate about it. I would say I was in my dream job at Flight Centre then. I was working part-time. I reported into an incredible two leaders that were my leader and her leader, two phenomenal human beings that really saw things in me that allowed me to rebuild that confidence. And yeah, it was amazing. And then COVID hit. So both Andy and I were at Flight Centre when COVID hit and we both got stood down on the same day. So we both got the call. And I suppose some of those prior experience I've just shared now, it didn't, I, I'm not going to say I was excited about receiving a call on Stand Down about COVID. That was very much a shock but I feel like we'd gone through what we went through in 2017. I'd gone through some of those times with my Achilles and my rebuilding myself after a broken marriage, et cetera, that I felt like we'll be okay with COVID. This is inconvenient. It's a bit scary. The world's going a little bit crazy as we all know, but I really was like, we'll be okay. We'll be fine. We'll make this work. And maybe that's my optimism coming in, blind optimism sometimes. <laughs> we got to stand down same day. And I started working in this crazy call center, I call it. It was a pop-up call center. Flight center had leased off three floors of its head office building to an external call center that literally was a COVID response triage call center. And there were a thousand of us in 10 days, a thousand people in an in-person call center. So everyone else in Australia was getting locked down. And we had these little pieces of paper saying we have to be in person for this essential work. And I got a role as an operations manager in this call center. And so our teams were answering calls. Hi, welcome to Services Australia. How can I help you? And oh, I need my COVID payment, blah, blah, blah. So that that was a real test, I think, of your values and how do you show up every day, even in the chaos? Because every single person in that call center was displaced. Everyone. There were pilots, there were air crew, there were a lot of flight center employees, and we were in the building. So you'd see the people who were still working there, and I'd say working in inverted commas, crisis management, trying to keep the company alive. And and they're going through hell too. And then we're on this other side. And it was, yeah, that was a real test of characters for people. Crazy. Yeah. And what
0: did Andy do during that time?
1: He, for the first couple of months, he actually was at home because our daughter's daycare, she was in daycare at the time. They were closing halfway through a day. So for me, I went to full-time work on these roving hours. So he did that. And then he actually picked up a job at 99 Bikes. They were going gangbusters through COVID. By the end of the year, Andy got made redundant officially in October and I got made redundant in November. And so he was still at 99. He got a permanent job there. By then, he was on a short-term contract to begin, and so when the COVID call center ended, it was literally all within two or three weeks that both of our redundancies came in, and and that's when for me Luminate was born because in that seven months we knew that the call center was only to the end of October, and we assumed that we weren't going back because by then things were really unfolding. Like everyone, the first couple of months, I thought, oh, we'll be back by June or July, but then as time was progressing go oh, there's no way we're coming back I was responsible for doing leadership training for people in IT and marketing and finance they're not they're not even there anymore they've all been made redundant let alone giving them leadership skills so yeah I knew it wasn't personal but that role was not going to be a priority I applied for 30 odd jobs at that time looking for something similar and was not successful and it was a little bit frustrating and in some ways disheartening. But there was a good crew of people around who were also in, we're all applying for jobs everywhere because we we needed our next chapter. And there were one or two good friends who just kept saying to me, why don't you just start your own? Why don't you just start your own? I I don't know. It's never really been a thing for me to go and run my own business. It was never a desire. The more I was thinking about it, I'm like, okay. And I remember there was this guy who was doing a startup in leadership training and soft skills kind of training. And I'd applied for a job with them and they offered me the role. And I went in for a trial and he didn't have any background in L&D. He didn't have any background in leadership, didn't have the network. It was just an idea. So I guess I was bringing all all of the above. And we had a call with this potential client. And she was, it was kind of this time of year, what are we now in November? And it was in the November and she was saying, look, my team, it's the end of 2020. They're too exhausted. We need to do something in the new year. And this guy that I was about to take a job working with, I went back after the call and said, well, we can't do it this side of the calendar year because, you know, they're burnt out. They want to wait till next year. He's like, no, we need it now. So yeah, but the client, this is what the client wants. He's like, no, no, we need it now. And I just kind of had that moment of realization. I smiled and I said, I don't know that you and I are going to be able to work together because for me, I'm listening to what the client's saying and I need to acknowledge that. And so I'm going to wish you well, but I don't think this is going to work for us. And literally shook his hand, said goodbye and went, I'm starting my own, I'm starting my own business. And yeah, three years later, next week, we'll be three years old. And running your own
0: business, it's glamorous, isn't it?
1: Oh yeah, it's just so easy, so glamorous. It's all all good times.
0: <laughs> I, I love it when people say, "Oh, you know, you and you start your own business. You want freedom, and you want this, and you want that." <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, and you know what? You do get that. I think there's elements of it, isn't there? Mm. And there's so much more hard work, and then you never really switch off. And yeah, so there's there's pros and cons. I love it. I don't I don't see that I could ever. Oh, I should never say never, but you know, where I sit now, I I really believe this is where I'm meant to be. And it's so fulfilling and so wonderful, but it is not without a lot of blood, sweat and tears.
0: That's for sure. Yeah, that's exactly right. So if we talk about leadership and culture, what gets you excited about that?
1: What gets me excited? I think the openness that people have for looking at more, I said the word soft skills before, and I don't like that expression at all. I, I, there's nothing soft about soft skills. The human skills, I, what gets me excited is the amount of businesses, leaders, people who are truly invested in developing human skills, where people have got that head and heart leadership, but really opening
0: up to maybe the more heart side of leadership these days. And in your opinion, what have you found makes a great leader?
1: Mm. I think there's multiple levels. I I do think it's the head and the heart so that there's that element of knowing why they're doing it and what they need to do. I think fundamentally a great leader of people is someone who genuinely cares and I don't mean you need to go and have lunch with everyone and be best friends but if you don't have a genuine authentic care for the well-being and growth of your people, leadership is going to be challenging. So I, I think there's that element. I do believe the authenticity and the growth mindset, the skills can be learned and can be built upon, but the the want and the desire to want to make an impact where it's something bigger than yourself. So leadership is not about you. It's about the people that you are leading and in service of. So I believe it's that mindset that people walk in and realize that it's not about them. They will make mistakes and that's okay. Keep with that growth mindset. And just curiosity, I think a curiosity to learn, to understand other people. And then that's where those heart characteristics come in, then a curiosity with empathy, a curiosity with the courage to speak up and be who you truly are. So yeah, there's a bit to that. But I, I think fundamentally you do care about the well-being of people and you're authentically you showing up with a growth mindset. And Cherie, that type
0: of leadership then builds culture.
1: Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. What do you reckon?
0: I think so, definitely. Culture comes from the top. I've seen so many business over time, organizations that I've been with, especially in the real estate where people go, right, we need a a culture leader. And Mark and I talk about this where he's involved himself in different companies and organizations and they go, the leader or the owner says, right, I I need someone to look after culture. And he's like, you're it, buddy.
1: That's you. Yeah, totally. And look, I think to that completely, I think that the leader, the owner, whatever the role at the, at the top is, and that team are responsible for setting the tone and setting the direction. So mm-hmm. having clear values, clear vision, clear sets of standards of the way that we want to interact internally and with our customers. And then it's also the team, isn't it? Because the leader could have this vision of of what we want it to be you need to model that behavior and then the team also need to be bought in on it so yeah. i think culture is an everyone event and it must be led by the leader and then if you're talking about culture committees and different things here there's it's also knowing your strengths so if that means you dedicate you know delegate to someone that they're going to organize the monthly reward and recognition barbecue great but yeah they're not in charge of the culture they're in charge of creating an event that that supports the culture. But yeah, it's funny. I, I feel like the word culture is almost is quite difficult because people will say, oh, they're not a culture fit. I hear it all the time. Oh, this person didn't fit the way that we operate here or our culture. And beautiful. So define to me, tell me what is your culture? Give me in a sentence or in a few words, what is the culture of your organization? And often people will struggle to be able to define exactly what it is. And so then, we're setting, we're not always setting people up for success. If we haven't been able to explain or articulate what it looks like, what success looks like here or what the barriers to success are, then how do you expect people to meet that expectation if they're not clear on what it is? So often I think it's articulating what we do want to see and also what we don't want to see. Mm. We were doing some work with someone recently and they shared one of their documents of exactly that, their values. And What I loved was the actual section that said, these are the barriers to success. So let's say one of their things was about having great emotional intelligence. Then at the bottom, it was things like, if your ego gets in the way, that's a barrier to success. So it wasn't just all the positive things we want to see. It was also shouting out what we want to avoid and be aware of. Mm. I love that. I don't think enough people articulate that.
0: And I think a lot of people, when they say, oh, we need to improve the culture, a lot of leaders expect that. We just want that to happen overnight. Yeah, And it doesn't. How long do you think that it takes for an organization that focuses on building their culture? How long do you think it takes to build and improve that culture?
1: That's a great question. And- I feel like my answer is, is, it's very situational, isn't it? Because I, I think it would depend where the starting point is. Mm. If you've come from a place where the culture is actually gone through a bit of trauma, if you like, as a, an, an organisation, then that could take actually years to repair. Mm. I also think depending on the size of the organisation, when you've got people who aren't ready to shift the gears, then that can become quite toxic. So I've seen and, and actually... I won't name them, but we're working with a client at the moment that had had a, have had a new CEO come in almost two years ago, and in that time, the CEO has got incredible energy, great vision, real people person. So you'd think, okay, that will that will shift the gear a little. But then, as we've done some deeper work with the, their exec team and then the next layer of leaders, and also everyone in the t- in the organization, you're realizing that there's there's really some Hangovers, people still haven't let go of the past. So it's very difficult to transform a culture if we're still holding on to the previous culture. So that's taken time. That's taken some tough conversations that people have had to have. That they've either accepted this is where they want to be now or they're not. And so that natural turnover, if you like, there's been, in their case, a few restructures, to be honest, because it's going, okay, this isn't working anymore the way that it's been. If we truly want to transform the culture. But they came from a pretty low starting point. They came from a really toxic, traumatic culture. Whereas I think there's others where you go, it's good here. We just want it to be great. How do we build from good to great? So in that time, maybe it's months, it can be shorter. There could be some key pieces that they're missing. And I think that's some of the work we do, you know, around, well, what does that top, that top leadership team look like? How cohesive is that team? How clear is their vision? How clear are their values? How clear is what your mission is? And when that's clear, then we can flow throughout the organization. But that, that cohesive team, and actually I love the Patrick Lencioni, the five dysfunctions of a team. And the the bottom layer of that or the foundational layer is about trust. So how do we build trust within that executive team or that top layer, if you like? I don't mean to sound hierarchical, but it does need to start with your key leaders. And from there, when there's trust and there's healthy conflict and there's great accountability and there's commitment, then you have combined results. So it's really, I think, doing that work with the team. So however long that takes for that key leader team, I think you then see it filter out from here.
0: And depending on the organization, the way I look at it as well is that you need to have your culture right. When you're recruiting, correct. you need to know what your culture is because you need to make sure that you're getting the right people in. I look at the real estate in industry and I look at other organizations and probably the last five years has been, I suppose the buzzword is growth. Everyone's got growth CEOs now and growth consultants. But for me, if that growth consultant or growth CEO comes on and they've got KPIs to bring on more officers or more staff, Their metric is wrong. Their metric needs to be to grow the business. And I always say, and I see it in real estate, being a real estate business owner, Tracy and I have for a number of years now, but they come on and they're looking outside to grow into the business. When I say, hang on, you've got all these people in the business that own agencies that are invested in it, and you're wanting to grow, say, 50 offices or 100 offices over a number of years why don't you actually go and sit down with all the officers and say, right, what's your growth plans? How can we support that Yes, rather than going and just trying to get people on from the outside just to hit your KPIs? Yeah, And I actually find sometimes in organizations, then you're bringing on the wrong type of people, which then affects the culture.
1: Yes, exactly. And I think That was one thing I did really admire at Flight Center was that whole promote from within, and that's not only at Flight Center, but that was very strong there. Because if you've got people people who've proven that they've got that willingness, the right attitude, the cultural fit, and I probably need to be cautious when I'm saying cultural fit because you want people to add to the culture too. We need diverse cultures, but uh, there's cultural alignment is probably the right expression. So we're all bringing different perspectives, but we're all still aligned to those common goals and values. So. Yeah, I agree. I think that there's real currency in looking from within and saying, okay, well, what are your growth plans? And I guess that goes back to that initial question. How long does it take? Because we can see it and it's so fascinating. You know, we can sit and help a, an organization create and craft their values and really get the team involved. But it, I think then often we go, oh, cool, we're done. No, no, now we're around, well, how do you actually build that capability? So if we're saying about being courageous, for example, okay, you're courageous. So how do you deliver feedback? How do you have great one-on-ones? How do you have those tough conversations? They're skills that people need to align to these values. So I think that takes
0: time too. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously you work with some great organizations. Mm. I see it on social media and, and on LinkedIn. Can you tell me some cool things or some initiatives that organizations are putting in place that are helping to build great culture?
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. One business that comes to mind, I think I was picking up my drink bubble for is uh, our friends at LSKD. I think they're a brand that's really on the rise and for the right reasons too. I would say with them, you hear Jason Daniel, the CEO founder, he's often said, yes, we're like a clothing company, but really we're a personal development company who actually make clothes. Mm. And I love that. The whole thing is around how, how do we grow and develop our people? And actually one of their expectations is that people attend Landmark. Some other events and, and we do a lot with them. I think we have a three-day onboarding that we're part of with PD sessions for every new person. Plus every quarter, we, we run one to two new workshops for their people for upskilling. But outside of even what we do, I think with them, culture pieces all around their values. That, that is something that they are so passionate about with their values. What else would I say? I think they use technology quite well. So they've got a Slack channel where involved so we can kind of see from the inside. And there's lots of different channels within that where there's a lot of shout-outs, there's a lot of celebration, there's a lot of community. They're genuinely using the language and embodying those values about creating community. So that is one of their values. And it's also just a way that they live. So I think when they're hiring people that is very clear on who you are and what it's, I guess it's all about. With what we're involved with, and I guess that's where where I know most of the information, we did a mentor program with them for six months. And that was so exciting. It was everyone volunteered their own time. And people in LSKD got to nominate themselves to be a mentee. And at Luminate, we basically went out to our community and said, who wants to be a mentor? And we paired people up from completely different industries, different walks of life, and paired them up with these mentees. So again, that culture of saying, their, their tagline or their phrase is 1% better every day. Mm. So they genuinely like, okay, well, how can we be better? Here's a mentor program. He, they've got, a, from their perspective, lots of fitness and different things as well. I think from real estate, if we go to real estate, we, we do quite a lot of work with Place Real Estate Brand. And one of the things that I love about what I see at Place is They've got a phrase in there, it's a learn-it-all culture, not a know-it-all culture. Mm -hmm. And without fail, we run a six-month program, a leadership program, where you've got everyone from directors of offices to, or multiple offices to, you know, someone in the finance team from their head office, and they're all on this program together. And in addition, they also do a quarterly, yesterday I was there, so a two-hour session for the property managers, and then two hours for their head office every quarter. And without fail the ceo you know founder damien he's sitting at the front taking notes okay what can i take on and so i think those things where the leader is modeling that behavior and if i go back to lskd jason's the same jason he, he'll be sitting next to the newest recruit who's 21 years old and he's got his pen and paper and he's asking all the questions so i think that culture is when there's so much inclusivity as well, when the CEO is sitting next to the new person and they're all just humans sitting by one another. I think that
0: that's very powerful. Yeah, it's about having, as you said, you've got to have these levels of leadership and hierarchy in a business. Hmm. But at the end of the day, it's we're all on the same team.
1: Yeah, yeah. And if I scan my thoughts through all the clients that we do regular programs, we, we obviously do a lot of workshops with people here and there in a day or a couple of hours. But those regular programs were quite embedded in people's businesses. That is one consistent thing. So going back to that question about what makes a good leader, I think, is someone seeing themselves not above others. Obviously, they've got a different responsibility of what they need to do in a day-to-day. But just, got you know, human to human and that lack of hierarchy and command and control style leadership, every single one of them, the, the CEO or the founder will be sitting with anyone in the team.
0: If there's a business owner, organization, CEO, anyone in leadership at the moment sitting there listening to this and they're kind of thinking, just don't think we've got a great culture, what are some questions they need to be asking themselves?
1: I think there's six questions. Well, I guess with culture, I would come back to our asking, do we know why we exist? Do we know how are we meant to behave? So I think that's the purpose and the value. So if that is clear then I would be thinking, okay, well, what's my engagement strategy with my team? What do my people want? But I would be first looking at why do we exist? How do we behave? When I think about the engagement, I think actually stripping it back to pretty simple things. I'd be asking, is there clarity on who leads who? Because sometimes depending on the size of the organization or the structure, you know, is it really clear I'm reporting into you, And we have our weekly one-on-one or we have a monthly catch up. So I think those communication cadences are really important. Even just the basics of the the meetings people are having. I'm not an advocate of meeting for the sake of meeting, but in your meetings, one of the tools we use is the HBDI, the whole brain thinking. And we talk about having a whole brain meeting. And so- in those meetings, if you break it down into the four quadrants, the blue section is very much the the numbers, the facts, the figures. So are we looking at the KPIs? Are we looking at what our OKRs are? The green is very process, agenda, detail, timeline. So are our meetings running to time? Is are there clear roles and responsibilities? But then the yellow and the red are probably the areas that maybe don't get as much airtime in meetings. The yellow is really that big picture, brainstorming idea generation. Taking risks, storytelling, that isn't always as conducive to a, a quick succinct meeting, but where are we creating this space and that might be once a month or once a quarter, but where are we creating the opportunity for people to come together and ideate really? And then the red quadrant is all about relationships. I absolutely believe that could be built into any meeting. So you know where is their celebration? Where is their reward or recognition even you know acknowledgements of people? where is their acknowledgement of how you're contributing to a client or your customer's experience? And maybe it's the beginning and the end, like the bookends of a meeting. So you can still get into your KPIs and keep everything on time and be really organized, but making sure that there's a connection piece for your people always. And that should really be linked back to the values and the why of the organization. So if that's not clear, what are you linking it to? So I think some of those that they're simple, but when they're done well, they're very impactful.
0: I love those reflections there there's some there's some really valuable reflections there for someone sitting there wondering where to go.
1: Yeah, thank you. and I you know what? I think as well if it is if I'm sitting there as the leader, I'm like, yep, we've got all those. I would challenge that leader or the owner or whatever role you're in to go and ask someone else to tell you that answer. Mm -hmm. Ask the newest person in your team, what are our values? What do we stand for? Why do we exist? Ask them because often we think that everyone knows and we know it because it's in our heart, especially if you're a founder or you've been in the role for a while, you know exactly why you're there. But I think in the learning space, we say people need to hear things six times in six different ways. And so when you feel bored, by the the amount of times you keep talking about the values and the vision of the business, when you're bored with that, you're probably just
0: talking about it enough. Yeah. Now through your leadership and obviously the people that you've met over the years, you and Andy co-host your own podcast. Mm, Yes. I've listened to probably about six or seven episodes now. The one with Jason Daniel as well, which was an absolute awesome one. The one with Lisa Pagoda.
1: Yes. Yes.
0: Which was just phenomenal. My brother messaged me and he's like, you've got to listen to this one. And I was listening to another one actually. So I finished that one and jumped onto another one. But how's that experience been for you?
1: Oh, I am absolutely loving it. Andy as well. I think Andy's very much in the role in Luminate. He's been with Luminate now for two, well, officially three years, but technically two years as a full-time role. And this is, that's that role for him where he really gets to connect with people as well. He's often behind the scenes. So For us, it's a really beautiful bonding experience. I feel like it's quite intimate to sit there and listen, just like yours, hear these stories that Mm -hmm. people share and these moments in their lives. And we we say that's our cup filler. You know, I mean, I have lots of moments in my job where it fills my cup, but for us as a team and as a partnership, that is absolutely it's just beautiful. And yeah, I, I feel so blessed actually, and just so privileged that people open up and share these stories and and how then. I truly believe like your podcast, very kind of similar intention is that then how much that can inspire others, you know, that people by sharing their stories, sharing their strength, their resilience and what they've endured and what they've accomplished, how much that inspires others. So yeah, the Lead with Courage podcast is kind of beyond my dreams actually of of what we've been able to, the conversations we've been privy to have and yeah, it's such a privilege.
0: And I look at podcasts as well as like people go, where's it going, you know, where do you want share podcast to go, <laughs> you know, and I, yeah. go, I'm just enjoying it. I just love connecting with people. And for me over, you know, since being burnt out in 2018, going through depression, anxiety and fatigue and all those things, turning into a stay at home dad, which has given me a, a completely different perspective on life. And at the start, it. I kind of had a bit of a resentment and a guilt that I couldn't go to work and I couldn't this and I couldn't that. But then one day I sat there and I went, tell me what dad gets the opportunity when their kids are in as teens to actually drop them off at school, pick them up, spend more time with them. But then the flip side of that was that Trace, who has been pregnant or had kids for like 32 years, then she's working full-time picking up basically you know being the breadwinner and it's hard because and we had some communications which was which was hard because I was doing things and she was like oh you've taken the boys out oh i oh, oh i'd like to take the boys out or oh you went and got ice cream oh what and it was really hard because i was doing things like washing and cleaning and doing all these things but then She was like, oh, I I just want to cook dinner one night or I just want to. So it was an interesting change of roles. But I also think for me it was an awesome perspective because I sat there and I went, seriously, stay-at-home mums and dads, it is not an easy role.
1: No, it's not. It's not. And it's really interesting you're saying that because I have a very similar experience with whilst Andy's absolutely in full time with Luminate he is also because I'm often with clients running the workshops. He's also doing the drop-offs. He's also doing the groceries. He's also doing all the laundry. And there was an episode on the Imperfects podcast where they talked about, I think it's called Fair Share. No, that maybe is a charity. Oh man, I've just forgotten. But it's about sharing this irony that I've forgotten this. But it's it's basically a game where the partners sit down as all these cards. And you look at, okay, well, what roles are you playing? What role is the other person playing? What are you responsible for in your family? And it's really talking about the mental load as well. Mm. And there's just literally every, who pays the insurance bill and who pays the school fees and who gets the birthday presents for the kids' parties and who does this and who does that? So it's not just the laundry and the school drop-offs. It's like really down to the fine detail. And we started doing, because yeah, the episode, I think Hugh was talking about it with his wife and she came home with it and Andy bought the cards and the book. And I'm like, what's this all about? (laughs) It was quite confronting. And I really, if I'm honest, I didn't really enjoy it at all because it was really confronting to me that I maybe wasn't contributing in our home as much as I could or maybe I was taking a lot of the things for granted that he was doing and and that's a constant conversation for us actually because I feel I feel like I'm the lucky one like I get to do the fun stuff and I couldn't do it without him actually like I just don't know how I'd manage it all without the support and us doing it as a team and at the same time he gets to go to the dancing and he gets to go to these fun things and sometimes I'm like, well yeah, I want to go to ice cream too, just as you said so. I do think it's sometimes it's the unpaid jobs. It's not always. It's not as much gratitude for that. But it's hard work. That's hard work. And yeah, the unsung heroes of the houses, really, and and the families, because it's it's not always glamorous. And I, sometimes I know I get I get to go to the conferences and go to these cool things, and I'm really 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 fortunate. And yeah, it's a good reminder for me, Steve. And I hope my husband listens to this one because thank you, Andy. And I I do, I truly appreciate everything he does because yeah, I just don't know that I'd be able to do what I'm doing without that support that I have from him. So eternally grateful.
0: And I think one of the things I see it on Instagram reels, I've seen it a couple of times in the last couple of months, but it comes up and it says, everyone goes, oh, it's 50, 50 in a relationship. And it's like, no, if someone's 15% one day, I'm going to be the 85 yeah, and vice versa. And the key thing for me probably in the last 12, 18 months, couple of years, Tracy and I have been together 17, 18 years now, but I think we were kind of operating in individual silos mm-hmm. in the family unit. And really over the last 12, 18 months, two years, through my journey of my mental journey and, and growth journey, actually it's a team, right? So if you play a team like anyone out there that's rugby league or whatever it is, if someone misses a tackle.
1: Someone else needs to go in. Yeah. You make the tackle.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I think if you have that approach in a relationship where someone's not feeling great, well, you've got to step up and vice versa. It really is that team that gets you through.
1: I agree. And I heard Brene Brown speak about this once and she said that her and her husband, Steve, would actually have this same conversation. They'd say, what percent are you on? what's their own tank, if you like, because we might both be exhausted and, and likely parents often are, you're both exhausted. So it's not like one's bouncing in with all this extra energy at the end of the evening. But then when our daughter doesn't want to go to bed for the hundredth time, what are you on? And he, I, I remember we had it the other night. I think he's like, I'm on like 2%. I'm like, well, I'm probably on 10. So, all right, I've got this one. Um, so we were both done, but it, one one will always have that a little bit extra than the other or it is you're absolutely right the team and it's checking in on that isn't it it's it and it's a challenge this morning I went to Pilates this morning but that actually threw Andy's routine out because he usually walks a dog and he'll go for a run or go to the gym but because I had a different kind of pace today, I'm like oh, I'll go to Pilates today and the poor guy when I got home he was itching to get out the door he's like i have just got to go and exercise i have got to go and exercise and I'm just waltzing in in my oh my feminine flow state i've been to pilates i'm I'm gonna have some breakfast now and he's like i've got to get out of here but i realized i i was not really thinking about him as much as i should have and yeah just that balance of people and in teams as a partnership is give and take and it's not 50 50 i don't believe that that is real at all but that game you've got to find it share pair i don't know fair share something like that it's it's really quite interesting
0: yeah okay Cherie, is there some favorite quotes that you live by?
1: Yes, I have one, this too shall pass. And I really believe in that around the good times, really embracing the good times and knowing that not in a morbid way, but, you know, time will pass. So really make the most of it. Don't take it for granted. And at the same time in the challenging times, this will also pass. Hmm. So just endure it. And the other is... There are two times in life, now and too late. Mm. So I really just love about being in the present moment and taking the opportunities when they're here.
0: When you think of success through your life, how has that changed? I think it's changed
1: as far as maybe in my early career was around the job title, how busy, how needed I felt like I was. I think that was when I shared with you about my breaking my back and my phone dying. I thought I was successful because everyone needed me and then I very quickly realized they don't need me and so then that felt very unsuccessful. So I think I needed to redefine to myself what success was and then this sounds so cliche, Steve, and I I don't even want to say it, but it really was around can I just be happy regardless of what's around me or where I am? Like can I genuinely wake up and feel happy? And then hopefully that can permeate into other people as well and be contagious for others. And to me, that is that success. To know I'm having impact on people. So not to feel needed, but to know that I'm having a positive impact. And that first starts with my family and then the people that we get to work with or cross paths with. So it's it's less about don't get me wrong, I, I like to earn money and have nice things and go on nice holidays and all those things. But that's a goal and something you aim for. But it's the success for me is to know that I feel like I'm actually having a positive impact in this world. That's, yeah, and to be a good mum.
0: And that's why you've got Luminate Leadership and you talk very proudly about your, your daughter and your husband.
1: Yes. Yes. Thank you. Yes. It makes me feel
0: very fortunate. Throughout your life, Sheree who's been your greatest teacher?
1: I think it's changed, Steve. I'd say early in my life, my parents, but I'd say in particular, my dad, he was a coach. Oh, he still is actually. Very much involved in soccer and coaching. So watching him, how he would coach and inspire people, how he would talk to people, how he talked to every person. I, I like to think that I have a lot of my dad in me and that's nothing about my anything bad about my mum whatsoever. But I think that role modeling from my dad is is most certainly a huge, huge influence for me and his nature and seeing life half cup full. Then I would say in my career at Flight Centre would be my dear friend, Rachel O'Brien. I think she has just been an incredible mentor. And now I, it, it has to be my daughter, I think is like the, the greatest teacher that you have. So yeah, I don't always like the lessons I'm learning. <laughs> Sometimes it's very confronting. You're like, where did that attitude come from? And then you go, oh, I say that all the time. Oh, dear. <laughs> so I think, it, but it, it's, yeah,
0: the, the greatest teacher I ever have is, is my daughter. As my boys were growing up, I remember the first time I turned around to them and I said, stop acting like your father. And they <laughs> kind of went. <laughs> yep. But I'm like, you got to have the vulnerability to say, you're acting exactly like me.
1: Don't do it. Don't do it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And there's elements to when I see my daughter and I'm like, oh, I love that about you. God, just like her mum. And then I see other parts and I'm like, just like her mum. Not good.
0: <laughs> I like the videos that go around that mostly it's mum and daughter and they'll say something and the daughter will turn around and say, if you've got a problem, check in with the manufacturer.
1: <laughs> I haven't heard that, but that is spot
0: on. <laughs> And the mum just sits here and goes, "Ooh, okay.
1: Yep, thanks for that. <laughs> but it's true. It's exactly, it's the mirror is up and I don't, it's not always comfortable at all, but it's, it's what we need.
0: No, well, that's where the growth happens, isn't it? Looking in that mirror. Absolutely, absolutely. If you could go back to a younger Cherie and give her any advice, what would you say?
1: <sighs> I think I would say some people might think you're too much. And that's about them, that's not about you. Just keep being you. Yeah. And that that's their that's their thing.
0: Yeah. I love that. Thank you. Sheree, anyone that wants to connect with you, connect with Luminate Leadership, what's the best way to reach out?
1: Yeah, well, please do. love, just like you, you know, Steve, I think it's like, I just love connecting with people, even Mm. if it's just another human to connect with and follow and celebrate their their journeys. So yeah, absolutely on LinkedIn, under Luminate and also Sheree Canning and the same on Instagram. They're probably the two places I hang out the most, connect with people the most, I'd say, but also email us. We've got our website. People are curious about what we do we've got our different workshops and things on our our website and yeah maybe if they have an extra space for another podcast the lead with courage podcast as well
0: yeah no that's exactly right there's some great episodes that i've listened to and i know you got some great episodes coming up as well
1: yeah well we have to get you on in 2024
0: as well please yeah okay i'll be there
1: yeah yeah love to love
0: to well sheree thank you very much for giving your time Seriously, I just love your infectious energy and positivity. Thank you. I love that you describe yourself as a passionate optimist. You're just doing beautiful things in the world. You are a beautiful human being.
1: Oh, thank you. Likewise, I'm just so blessed that we crossed paths at TEDx and I feel very, very thrilled to be in the same orbit and doing some similar things in the world and, and hopefully creating a great impact. And I really appreciate you having the opportunity to have me on as well. And thank you
0: so much, Steve. It's been an absolute pleasure and look forward to keeping in touch. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks, Ray. Thanks for tuning into today's episode. It's been great to have you along for the ride. Remember to hit subscribe and share this episode with a friend, maybe just one person you think could benefit from what was just shared. Also, if you haven't connected with me yet, you can find me on Instagram at the Steve Hodgson and also share underscore underscore podcast.